And uh, then just in passing you say, ah, oh, I've just recently been to an exhibition by that artist and I've bought a painting myself, so pop in sometime and have a look at mine. So I then tell you what I paid for it and I, I sort of see this strange reaction on your face and then you leave and that sort of slightly unsettles me. And then in a few weeks' time, I do have the opportunity to call into your house. And uh, there in your lounge is your painting. And uh, there is a similarity in style. There's no doubt about that. But as I look on this painting, I have this sinking feeling that what I have is not actually a genuine painting by this artist because I'm absolutely mesmerized by this painting. This is in a different league. This is incredible. And I am just overwhelmed by it. So I go back home, and I'm faced with the temptation, do I just go upstairs to bed and forget this? Or do I actually just go back in and have another look at this painting that I have? So I do, and sure enough, this bears no resemblance to what you have. This is not the genuine article. I've actually had quite a lot of pleasure, and unfortunately I have invested a lot of my time and money in it, but it's just not the real thing. And it, it is, in an instant, something that I held to be of great value has become utterly worthless. And I decide tomorrow morning, it's got to go. It's got to go in the bin. It's useless, utterly useless. You see, whether it's currency or anything else, a painting, anything else that is of great value, if we're going to decide that what we have is either genuine or counterfeit, the test that we apply is look, compare it to the real thing. How does this actually stand up to examination by something that we know to be genuine? Now, that's sort of where we're going today. The series on counterfeit gods continues, and today's is the seduction of success. My text is John 10 and 10, the, the, verse, the single verse, the second reading that we had read to us. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So this abundant, extravagant, fulfilled life, or as the message beautifully puts it, a better life than they've ever dreamed of. That's the genuine, that's the real thing, that's the original against which we compare and check if we have a counterfeit or not. That's the life that Jesus invites us into today. So let's take that original, that painting, and look at it from different perspectives and just get a glimpse of the, the magnificence of it. It is truly something of immense beauty. But then it doesn't always feel like that, does it? At times, actually, we're quite unmoved by it. At least that's how I feel. Along the way in our Christian journey, there is a great deal to distract us. 
And the possibility exists that we have become distracted by something which is not actually the real thing. It has the appearance, and that's… I, I find this whole series challenging because we don't use the word idol. An idol is something that somebody else worships. It's made out of stone or gold. Counterfeit is much more challenging. And I have to say, I find this particular preparation extremely uh, challenging because it can look genuine. It can start genuine, but in the end, it, it, it holds us back from entering into that abundant life that Jesus invites us into. So, as we consider again this invitation of Jesus to participate in that life, may God's Spirit today enable us to see the counterfeits, to see how utterly worthless they really are, and may He give us the courage to deal with them. That's where we're going. The journey that we're embarking on this morning is not one such that you will, I want you, or we want to leave the church with more guilt than when we arrived. The invitation of Jesus is into an abundant life, but in order to enter into that abundant life, we may have to deal with, with difficult uh, issues. So I'm probably going to say nothing new. I'm just holding up this painting again for us to gaze at it. We'll look at it from different perspectives, from different distances, and I hope that again it will captivate us as to its beauty. Perhaps a good place to start is in the generous creation that God has placed us in. We drive, don't we, to a convenient parking spot in the Surrey Hills, and we take a walk. And again, we are just captivated, we're in awe of the magnificence of the morning sunshine on the, on the frost. And through the changing seasons, the spring flowers, the autumn leaves, and we're just in awe of its beauty. It is stunning. It's beautiful every time we go. And we're drawn, aren't we, to give thanks for the creator of it as we see His beauty in His work. Before we even contemplate God's salvation, we're constantly reminded of the goodness of His creation and the beauty of it, and how much that tells us of the Creator. But then we get in our cars to drive home, and we turn on the radio, and we hear about the latest tragedies in the Middle East, we hear of all the things that Clive was reminding us of last Sunday so graphically. And we hear of the latest virus that's causing untold suffering and fear and death. And that's before we even get home. And then we get home to the pain and disappointment and hurt that so often defines our existence. There is a lot wrong with this beautiful world. There's an awful lot that needs fixing. So let's move a little closer to the painting and see it under a different light. Let's get a glimpse then of the generous salvation 
that God has provided for us in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, what, let's just be reminded again that what Jesus did for us is not just to save me from my sin, although that's significant, not just to make this old world slightly more bearable. It's nothing less than the remaking, the renewing of the entire cosmos, His entire creation renewed, having dealt on the cross with the evil that destroys and defaces it. Let's just get a glimpse again of the scope of the salvation that God has provided in Jesus Christ. It's big. It is incredibly big. And here we are, we're in church to celebrate what God has done, to anticipate what He's going to do when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a hope we have in Christ. No wonder Paul says that creation waits with eager expectation for what is in the future. And as we worship here today, we get just a foretaste of what is to come, what lies ahead. Jesus, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. There I am. This has really just come home to me in fresh ways this week. Here we are gathered in Jesus' name. Jesus, the Lord of history, here with us at St. Saviour's this morning, His presence with us. This is a reality. It's real. It's a thing of immense beauty. This is what we believe. This is what we affirm as we sing, as we say in the, in the liturgy too. We affirm it every week, yet at times it doesn't really move me, perhaps I can say us. Somehow or other, it just doesn't really sink in. Maybe it does on Sunday when we're here, but what about Monday, Tuesday, and the rest of the week? So let's move on on our journey exploring. John devotes five chapters of his gospel to one evening in the life of Jesus, the night before His crucifixion. Five whole chapters. And I suppose you would expect that final evening to be something of a pep talk, the officer uh, with his troops the night before battle, the coach before the big match. Jesus fire getting His disciples uh, fired up for evangelism, go out and conquer the world for Jesus. Yet what we have in those five chapters is quite extraordinary. An unhurried meal. Yes, quite a lot of dialogue from Jesus. Jesus has a lot to say, but there is dialogue. Dialogue in everyday language. Dialogue with people just like you and me, just ordinary people, ordinary language. 
And then he switches to speak to his heavenly Father. He doesn't change the language. The language is the same. An evening of, that is unhurried. And as you read through those five chapters, that you sense that this is not what you would expect it to be. But note this. Three times in the middle of that account, Jesus refers to his disciples, his followers, as friends. You are my friends. You are my friends. Let's just grasp this. The Lord of history, before whom everything on earth and heaven will bow, calling his followers, us, his people, his friends. That's the relationship into which he invites us. Here we are this morning, accepted, loved by Jesus, forgiven by him. But we're invited into a relationship which he speaks of as friendship. The closer we get, the more magnificent this painting really is. During the evening, he also uses quite a number of metaphors, and metaphors that we can so easily relate to. And one of them is the vine. You are the vine, he says, and I, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, let's just pause here and, and just get into what he's really saying. See, I'm trying to help us to see again the beauty of the painting, which is the abundant life in Jesus. That's where we're going. And we're just reminding ourselves of the scale of what He has done for us and for the relationship that He invites us into. But we need to get this. We are not just detached observers of what Jesus is doing in this world. We are actually participating in it with Him. Isn't that amazing? You are, I am the vine. You are the, we're organically joined to what He's doing. As His friends, we're not watching the Master at work. We're participating in it. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Not just ordained people, not just gifted people, not just people with great resources. All of us, all of the time. So how do I actually get in on this? This is a magnificent painting that we can see, but I, how do I just get a step further? How do I actually get in on what's happening? When Jesus that evening spoke to his followers and as, as his friends, he said, this is my command, his command to his friends, love each other as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're declared forgiven, we're accepted in Jesus. Our sins are forgiven by faith. But we go on to realize our identity is the, as the children of God. We go on to participate 
in this amazing salvation. We enter into this friendship that He's invited us into, this abundant life, when we love as Jesus loved us. That's His command. But how do we do it? How do you love? Rather than tell, and I'm not sure that you can tell anyone how to love, but you can show someone how to love. Eugene Peterson makes a, such a helpful observation about this passage in John. The five chapters begin with Jesus with a basin and a towel. That's where he starts. The five chapters, and at the end of his account, at the very end of the five chapters, we have Jesus praying to his heavenly Father that the love that you have for me, he says to his Father, may be in them. He starts with a basin and a towel, and he ends with plain, simple language to his heavenly Father that they may love as, as, as the He has loved Him. Um, friends, it does not require a degree in theology or special gifts or resources or money to take up a basin and a towel and to serve each other in love. Nor does it require those things to pray to our Father for each other in plain, simple, everyday language. This is how we get in on it. This is how we love. We realize our identity as we engage in humble acts of loving service for each other and as we pray for each other. Jesus set such a wonderful example. Paul perhaps the greatest theologian, his theology was actually founded on this, and he keeps coming back to it. He says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts. And perhaps even more challenging, this is what he says, it goes on in that famous passage in 1 Corinthians. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And that's the word of the Lord that I'm reading. I'm not making it up. I am nothing. As we continue Jesus' ministry in Jesus' way, this way of loving, humble service, we enter into the abundant, extravagant, fulfilled life that Jesus invites into. That's it. That's the genuine article. That's the magnificence of it. Before we move on, let me just note that he never said it was easy. And later on, he said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. The abundant life of Christ is easy to understand, 
It's magnificent, but no one say he does not claim at any point that it's an easy life. The seduction of success. Let me make a, a couple of very obvious points. First obvious point is that we teach our children and our grandchildren to aspire, to succeed, to do the best they can. And that's a perfect, within boundaries, that's a perfectly natural and healthy thing to do, I'm sure. The second obvious point is that we've only got to open a newspaper or turn on our television to see examples of what happens when the drive to succeed becomes all-consuming, an all-consuming and destructive obsession with power, with wealth, with status, with fame, or sporting success at any cost. Examples of that are all around us. These are obvious points. The question is, what happens along the way? Where does it all go wrong? And how do, do I determine if something which has started as quite genuine, quite benign, has become actually a counterfeit God? So let's turn to the story that we had read uh, from Mark 10. I just want to pick up two particular points from the story before I get on to the main point that I want to draw out of it. The first thing is that the young man ran to Jesus and knelt. That seems to indicate to me that this man is quite genuine. He was quite serious. This was not, and I think Jesus took it that way. This is a, this is a man who, who is actually quite serious in his approach to Jesus. And he asked what to, when he asked the question, what I need to do to inherit it, it was a genuine question. The second point that I want you to pick out is that Jesus looked on him and loved him. This is not Jesus trying to, to dismiss him quickly or to just get rid of him or to trick him in some way. Jesus looked on him and loved him. I think those are two quite important points before we come on to the very hard thing that Jesus said to him. So what did he say? Go, sell everything you have and give the money to the poor. Then come follow me. And John says that at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Although his question was in some way genuine, when faced with the stark choice, his wealth was more important to him. This is where it gets challenging. Because what this story demands from me is to ask myself where my self-worth and where my identity really lie. What is really important to me? 
Now, it is so easy to play games with this. And I wonder if Jesus had asked the man when he came to him the simple question, what is more important, your wealth or eternal life? I think the man, the, the man with the young man, without even thinking, would just have responded, oh, of course it's eternal life. My wealth is of much less importance than that. What is really important is eternal life. In response to that question, what Jesus actually said was, go home and deal decisively with what I know to be the most important thing in your life. Go home and deal decisively with what I know is the most important thing to you. That's actually what Jesus said. I tried this morning to imagine being at the receiving end of that look of love. Jesus looked on him and loved him. And I, I, I tried to imagine looking at Jesus. The Jesus of creation, the Jesus of the basin and the towel, the Jesus looking down from the cross, the Jesus before whom every knee shall bow, inviting me into this abundant life, this relationship of friendship. But this is what He says to you and to me. First go and deal with what my Spirit is prompting you to deal with, and then come back and follow me. Because there may well be something that's far more, that is actually deep down, if you're really honest, far more important. I think that's what Jesus is actually saying to me. I have found this immensely challenging uh, this week, perhaps more than I've ever uh, in any preparation. First go and deal with what my Spirit is prompting you to deal with, and come back and enter into, as the message, as I, as I said from the message, a better life than you ever dreamed of, because that's what Jesus wants of us, for us a better life than you ever dreamed of. Jesus has done everything, but there is something that we have to do. And He says, on your way back, pick up a basin and a towel because you're going to need those. Two weeks ago, Mike reaffirmed the vision of the church is love God, love each other, and make a difference. And I don't know if I picked this word up from Mike as he spoke, but the word that just has kept coming into my mind in the last week or two is the word declutter. God, I believe, in this season is calling us to declutter. And I have this picture of… Uh, Kate will confirm that I, when I declutter, I just do what's superficial. I think, well, no one will see that room where I dump everything, so let's not go in there. 
And that's the picture that's been in my mind all this week. And I thought how challenging that is because on Sunday when I go and I say with quite genuinely the confession, I deal with what's just on the surface, what's kind of obvious. And what has really challenged me is that there is a room which I need to go into and do a proper job this time. There's the place, no, I, I, I can't go there. Let's just pretend that doesn't exist. No one will ever see it anyway. And I have a superficial tidy up. I have a superficial dealing with business with God. And I do believe that that's what God is calling us to to declutter, to get back and deal with some of the issues that we tend to just put to the back of our mind. May God give us this morning a fresh vision of the wonderful life that Jesus invites us into, the better life than they've ever dreamed of. That's what He's calling us to. But may He also give us the courage to deal with some of the clutter that's holding us back. Amen. Thank you, Norman. Why don't we just have the opportunity to, to pause and reflect on some of those issues, you know, are, do we feel like we're leading an abundant life? Have we got a towel in our hand at the moment? Who are we serving? And uh, where do we need to declutter? I'm hopeless at decluttering. Um, I don't know about you, uh, I'm not good at it at all, but actually I think there's something, we, we do feel actually as a church, we are in a sort of focusing, let's focus on the main things season. Let's declutter some of the peripheral stuff. So I think there's something in that, Norman, in that, that word you feel uh, at the moment. So why don't we just pause, and I'm, I'm going to suggest actually to help us focus on uh, who Christ is and what he's done. We, we will stand in a few moments. We could say the Apostles' Creed together. It's this basic creedal statement of belief, which really just focuses again uh, us again on who Jesus is and what he's done. But let's just pause and have the opportunity to let the Spirit of God lead and guide us, speak to us. We'll, we'll have a couple of moments silence just to reflect on these things.
Heavenly Father, we want to praise you for your love for us, shown in the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and all he's going to do in the future. And Lord, we want to pray in this season of our lives as we think about these so-called counterfeit gods, we think about success today, and everything Norman said this morning, Lord, would you help us to have your priorities, to actually declutter where we need to? Would you be speaking to us in our lives about what you'd like us to be and do in this season? And the sorts of things as well, Lord, that we actually need to let go of and put to one side. And we want to thank you, Lord, that you have great power, Lord. You live in us through your spirit. And so we want to be confident that you can bring transformation and focus and help us to serve others as you'd want us to serve others. Amen. Let's stand together. And let's say, let's say the words of the uh, Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And as we're standing, why don't we say the Lord's Prayer together as we uh, draw this time to a close. Let's say this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, we lift our lives to you. We lift people uh, in our families we love, in our wider circle, colleagues, Lord, people we've yet to meet, Lord. And we want to pray, Lord, that you would help us reflect your love, your life, your abundant life, Lord. And Lord, you would be speaking to us in this season of our lives. Amen. We're going to sing our final hymn, O Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end.
Let me pray a final prayer of blessing. Heavenly Father, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. We want to thank you for this time together, for this opportunity to hear from your word, to pray, to hear from Norman, those words of inspiration. And Lord, I want to pray as we leave this place, we would actually focus on Jesus, the extraordinary things he's done, and we would know the blessing of you, Lord, our Father, the blessing of Jesus, our Son, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lovely to see you all. Do grab a coffee after the service and have a wonderful, wonderful week.